Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Own Your Time podcast. Today, we have Antoine Martel, who is a real estate entrepreneur from San Mateo, California. He's the founder of Martel Turnkey, which specializes in helping investors realize passive income and financial freedom through out-of-state rental properties. Martel Turnkey has sold well over $12 million worth of cash-flowing real estate. Now, his new company, Martel Invest, uh, invests in multifamily real estate across the U.S. and is now a majority owner in $11 million of real estate. So, Antoine, it seems like you're kind of crushing it. I'd love to kind of get your introduction and kind of tell us a little bit about your story as to how you got to the point you're at now. Absolutely. Yeah, so started really investing or learning about real estate investing when I was 19. Um, so back in 2015, started learning about real estate, real estate investing. My brother took me and my dad to like a real estate investing seminar. They taught us about flipping houses, wholesaling, rental properties, apartment buildings. And then kind of from there, things really took off. We just all got addicted to this whole real estate thing. And I was still in college at the time. I was graduating in a couple of years. I didn't want to go and like graduate and work for somebody else. So kind of from like 19 to 21 or 2015 to 2017, I was just studying everything, real estate, networking my ass off here in LA and in San Francisco, just learning what other people were doing, how they were making money, how they were having success with real estate, real estate investing, and kind of just collecting a million stories so that I could find my way and my path. And so with that, over two years, I didn't do anything real estate related, just really learning and networking. Then in 2017, I figured out that out of state investing was the way to go. My dad had 40 grand, so we didn't have much money. We didn't have any like resources. My dad had a full-time job, so we were like low on time. I was really just all me and then using my dad's money and using all of my time kind of out of state investing was like the way to go pretty much for us and the resources that we did have. So started looking out of state, found a couple markets out of state, took my dad's 40 grand, my last semester at university, went to Memphis, bought a house, renovated it, rented it out, and then did a cash out refinance. So did like the whole burst strategy on that first property and then uh, graduated in May and then by December had 10 single family homes in Memphis. And then from there, kind of just as we had some scale and had an actual portfolio out of state, people started reaching out to us to go and invest their own out of state. How did, how the hell did you guys buy 10 houses in Memphis, Tennessee from California? You know, we were just like normally networking and meeting people here in, in California friends and family. And they're like, what the hell? How are you guys doing this? What did you guys do? They saw some success and then they wanted to jump on the bandwagon. And that's when we started selling turnkeys to them. So we're like, all right, we'll just go buy a house, rehab it, rent it out, and then sell it to our friends and family. I made a janky little website called Martel Family Realty and started just selling these houses on a WordPress website instead of emailing or texting them out. And that's really how, how it all began. And we rebranded to Martel Turnkey, made it an actual business. And now we're doing 10 houses a month or over 120 wow. homes a year. Wow, dude. Well, I guess my first question is, so your dad had a full-time job, but he brought you to an investment seminar. So how did he kind of get into real estate and figure that out? Yeah, so my brother actually took us to that seminar. But my dad, my both my parents are very entrepreneurial. They've always shown me that going and getting a job and getting a W-2 is not the way to do it. Um, my mom's always been the entrepreneur in the family because we immigrated from Canada. So born in Toronto and grew up in San Francisco. I moved here when I was five. And so my dad had to keep his job in order for us to get citizenship. So he was kind of stuck in this thing due to the legality issues. And then also we were living in the Bay Area, which was ridiculously expensive. So like, it's very risky to leave your job that's paying for all these bills to go and start your own company, right? So doing anything entrepreneurial in the Bay Area was very difficult because of all those 
reasons for us. And so he's, you know, wanted to live vicariously through me and said, don't sign up for this stuff. Like go and do your own thing, go start your own business. You don't want to be working for somebody else. And he actually forced me to go and take a couple internships with a large companies to see how it was and, you know, see like, Hey, do you like, <laughs> like go sign up for these internships. All right. Do you like it? Do you like how it's working? Do you enjoy being there? And there's some things I enjoyed, but in the end of the day, it was just like so slow for me. I, I couldn't handle it. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that your dad sacrificed his entrepreneurial spirit to support your family. I think that that's kind of an amazing thing to do as a dad. And yeah. um, I guess my question would be, what kind of uh, time lessons did he tell you? Like, why was he saying that this W2 job just wasn't the right way? And and how can you kind of communicate that to the listeners to warn them like your dad warned you? Being around him every day, you can tell like he was not happy, right? So like, he was working his ass off over 100 hours a week as an independent contractor working for a bunch of tech companies in the Bay Area. And he would come home and just be pissed off about X, Y, and Z. Like it just wasn't, and it was never like a good day. It was, you know, he was putting out fires or doing something. And I guess you could say the same about a small business owner, but at the end of the day, it didn't have enough of an impact in those companies to enact change or to make change things, right? Like he was just handling his little thing, but all the other departments didn't coincide with what he was doing. So he felt like he was working his ass off and then doing as best he could. But then all the other people in the business or people above him had a different mindset. And then like all this work was kind of going to waste. And it was so through those conversations, he was kind of showed me the light and said, you should go and get some internships with these companies. And then also the other biggest thing was whenever I had like an entrepreneurial idea or business idea or wanted to flip something or sell something, he would encourage me to do so and even give me money to go and do those things and make it like a business deal. So, hey, dad, I want to buy these and I'm going to sell them here, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. I'll fund it for you. I'll give you the money to do so. Let's start small and I'll get 25 or whatever, 50% of the profit. You do all the work and we'll split the profits at the end of the day, blah, blah, blah. And like, I think through like doing that 20 or 50 times growing up, it was kind of, you know, you kind of get in this entrepreneurial loop that continues forever. Yeah. I think that I want to touch on something really quick about the time aspect, because it's not actually quantity of time, it's quality of time, right? Your dad was working extremely hard. And as you touched on, small business owners work extremely hard in a lot of hours, yeah. but it's about the quality of your time. If you're spending your time doing something that you have an impact on, like you said, you can make a change because yeah. happiness is really about progress and feeling like you have a purpose in life. Yep. So I wouldn't say that if you're trying to escape the W-2 to get out of work, then that's probably the wrong route, but you're going to yep. have more work, but the work's going to be for you and it's going to be for something that you're passionate about Great and it's going to be on purpose. And I think that when it comes to time, think about the quality, not just the quantity. I guess my question now is what does your average uh, day look like as far as schedule? Yeah. So I get up at seven or eight a.m. depending on what time I go to bed. But my day is every day is different, which is kind of cool, I guess. But normally from 8 a.m. to like 9 or 10 p.m. For example, yesterday is a great, great example. So since I do invest out of state, it's not a lot of like property tours and property walkthroughs and going and meeting contractors. Like there's, there's less meetings. It's more just me sitting here at this desk, going through emails, going through phone calls, having phone calls with my teams on the ground or having phone calls with new clients. So people who do want to invest in turnkey rentals. So that for a large chunk of the day, I do a lot of podcasting, a lot of social media. So that takes up a good chunk of the day as well. And then every maybe twice a week, I go to networking events as well. So like last night I worked from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then I went to a networking event from seven to 10 o'clock at night, came home. And then now I'm up again and doing it all over again. 
Love it, man. That's yep. such a, that's such a great day. That's a great day right there. But, um, yep. <laughs> so tell us about kind of your first deal that, that house in Memphis. And then, yeah, let's just really dive into that. I kind of want to know sure. how you got, how you found it. Was it through a broker or online, et cetera? Yeah. yeah great question. So I knew out of state was a way to go. The first thing was choosing a market. So I did a bunch of research on different markets. What makes a good market for cash flowing rental properties? Where are other people investing? All this kind of stuff. Memphis, Cleveland, Birmingham, St. Louis, those four markets really like stood out on my list. So I went to Memphis, Tennessee first, then started just calling companies and building, building a team on the ground. So property manager, realtor, contractor, inspector, you name it. Like I try to build a team on the ground that would help me have success. I knew it was going to be something single family home related. I didn't know if it was going to be whole, like wholesaling them, flipping them or doing rentals. It ended up being rentals. So property management company was something that was necessary, but I was really, I spent months building this team, like two or three months of just cold calling hardcore every single day while I was in college. And once I had like a couple of people that I felt like knew what they were doing, then I started looking at different neighborhoods, vetting neighborhoods through them, then going and like actually looking at new inventory and new properties every single day on the MLS, MLS meaning like Zillow and Redfin. So I would go on Zillow and Redfin, set up searches for areas that I liked, and then just go through those every single day. And that's, that's how I found that first deal. So it was just a Redfin search. It was a new listing. It was a single family home for a great price in the notes. It said like, you know, property only needs five grand to work to get it rented out for this. And that was something that was better than 99% of the other agents that I had talked to. So I called this guy and I'm like, Hey, I saw your listing on one, two, three main street. You know, I think that the house looks great. It doesn't look like it needs much work. How much work do you think it needs to get it rented out? Oh, it needs five grand. I'm like, all right, what would the five grand cover? And he's like, yeah, I have a bid for my contractor already. I can, I'll email it over, text it over. This is after calling like 200 agents cold, cold calling these people. And this guy like has a contractor. And then I was like, all right, do you think we can rent it out for this amount? He's like, yeah, absolutely. 700 to 750 probably. And I have a property management company that I work closely with too, who can help rent it out. And I was like, oh my God, this guy is a godsend. Everything lined up perfectly. And it was almost too good to be true, but it wasn't just luck because I had been calling people for three or four months. It was just bound to happen that I was eventually going to find somebody that gave me this kind of information. Then I took all that information, made a little package, just like I had done 50 times before and went to my dad and said, Hey, here's an investment opportunity. It's, you know, we're going to buy it for 35 grand, renovate it for five grand. So all in for right around 40. And then it was probably worth like 55 grand after. So we bought it, renovated it, probably in the first month or less, a couple of weeks renovation, two weeks maybe. And then the property management company went and rented that house out for I think 700 bucks a month. And then once that was all done, then went to a local credit union. And so the local credit union then did a cash out refinance for us, praised at 55. And then we were able to take out, you know, almost all of our money Nice. and do it again. So when you say Memphis and some other markets stuck out to you, what kind of metrics are you looking at that are, that are alerting you to these markets? Yeah, great question. So we look at some of the big things we look at population growth, job growth, unemployment numbers, major employers, diversity of workforce, the economic development committee in these markets. So pretty much are these companies and markets allowing new businesses to come in and are, what are they doing to get these new businesses, these Amazons to move into their markets? What are they giving these companies? So a lot of research about the, the economics and the major drivers and making sure that that's all safe and sound and then rent to value ratio. So about the real estate rent to value ratios, this is prop market cash flowing market. And then also are they landlord friendly states as well? So that's another thing. Mm -hmm. Great. All great metrics for sure. Especially that rent to own or rent to value of actually purchasing a house. If yeah. like, for example, in Austin, Texas, where I invest, 
Uh, it's just so expensive to buy homes. There's just such a rent demand because no one can really afford it. Even if you're making 150 grand a year, yeah. it doesn't really make sense for you to buy a house in Austin, which yep. is a little bit crazy. So I guess my question now is you were a young guy, you were just in college and like myself, you started young and you kind of took action and, and got into real estate. So what's your advice for people who are just starting out and, and how yeah. can you kind of motivate those people to, to get started like you did? Yeah. And I think that what saved me a ton of well, what would have saved me a ton of time was doing the following. So write down all your resources. So like money that you have, or like the people closest to you, how much money do they have? Like your dad or your mom or some, your uncle who's on board with this whole real estate investing thing, right? So money you have, the people you know, and then how much time you have. So I see a lot of people just trying to get into real estate and they want to do a ground up development project in downtown LA. And they've never even bought a piece of real estate before they have 50 grand to their name, let's say, and they know nobody in real estate and they they're on a mission to do a ground up development. Great. You can probably find somebody and partner up with somebody and make a half a point on the entire project or something like that. But I think that just a lot of people are not aligning their resources to the strategy that makes the most amount of sense for them. So I always recommend people like writing down all their resources on a piece of paper, then writing down all the different strategies and kind of just seeing which strategy makes the most amount of sense for you today to get started. Doing that at the beginning would have saved me probably two years of time because there's so much information out there that people just go down all these rabbit holes every week. They're talking about a new real estate strategy and they... Mm -hmm three years later, they ended up not doing anything. So I think the key is to get started and to get started as, as early as you can. Perfect. So now that you've moved into multifamily, what's kind of been the, the indicator to you personally that you can now transition your strategy to something more? So our, our first thing was like, we wanted to own multifamily apartments. That's been like a dream for me for, for years was owning these, you know, driving by a building that's big and tall and be like, oh my God, I own that entire thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's always been like a dream of mine. So moving into that, I think was just like a natural progression. The only thing from like different from a single family home to like a large apartment building or a duplex to a large apartment building is just the amount of money that it takes. So once we did have that amount of money in the bank or new people with that amount of money, then it was like, oh my God, this opens up this door now where I can go and do these you know, large multifamily transactions. So it was just like a money issue, really, you know, starting with 40 grand, the only thing we could afford was single family homes. All right, great. So let's start there. Once we have 250 grand, then okay, I can either buy now 10 single family homes, or I can go and buy one, you know, 20 unit apartment building or 10 unit apartment building or whatever the case is. And so it was just a, a matter of time. And after we had flipped, you know, 50 to 100 homes, we had the cash in the bank to then go out and be able to, to kind of scale up. Nice, man. I think that that is such a great point. Knowing what kind of strategy you want to align yourself with. And number one, that does come from your current resources, but also your current skill set. I think that understanding that if you have no analytical skills, either try to find a partner who does or try to align yourself with a strategy that kind of starts at a lower rung um, yep. analytical skill. So for me personally, I started in multifamily, but I started as a capital raiser because I wasn't proficient at underwriting yet. Yep. Uh, I partnered eventually got good at underwriting and, and figured that out. But, but yeah, definitely be okay with starting small and building up. Um, not to say don't have big dreams, but you know, have a progression to your dream. Exactly. Cause like you said, cause a lot of people do this. They'll, they'll say, I want this big thing and then they'll go after it for a year and then they, they don't get it and they quit instead of yep. like committing to the outcome and just saying, eventually this is going to happen. 
it's it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and then just yeah. committing small steps every day so exactly. that's brilliant man i think that everyone should really take something from that i agree so now i want to talk about a tale from the trenches so this is just kind of a, a deal where you got your hands dirty in real estate this could be either literally getting your hands dirty or just metaphorically getting your hands dirty but just some sort of a tale so there's one story comes to mind where i didn't really get my hands dirty but something dirty happened or a headache happened with a deal so we invest in cleveland heavily so we buy you know single families or duplexes now we're doing 10 a month late last year we bought a duplex in probably like a c-class neighborhood but it's an up and coming it's like a changing neighborhood so there's still some crime and stuff but it's going to get better as the years progress and so we bought this duplex so it's a duplex right so there's two hot water tanks and two hvac units and so we bought the building it came with them and they were in fine shape the day of closing all of it has been stolen from the basement so the day of closing and then our insurance companies well what time what time of the day were they stolen we're like we have no goddamn idea what time of the day they were stolen because they wanted to see when the insurance policy was actually started so it turned out that it was just too much it was impossible to nail down a time so then the insurance company was like no we can't pay for this so we go and we so we we buy it the day of closing all that stuff is stolen and so that's probably like 10 to 8 to 10 thousand dollars of of stolen stuff so we go like two days later three days we secure the building Two or three days later, we go and replace everything. So I send them a check for eight or 10 grand, whatever it is. And then then we start renovating the rest of the property, whatever, because we had just purchased it. So renovating the rest of the units, the exterior. And then a week later, I get a phone call. Hey, man, not good news, but everything has been stolen again from the, the property. So they came back and stole everything again. So <laughs> like $20,000 just in stolen stuff from the basement. It helped us change our kind of strategy a little bit now. So we, in those kinds of neighborhoods, which is probably like 5% of the stuff that I do, I, I do mostly like D-class, very stable, like nothing's ever stolen. What we do to these projects, those major systems, we don't put them in until we have a confirmed tenant. So now if like a tenant moves in on a Friday, we're going to go in on Thursday and install all that stuff so that the tenant moves in the next day. And then if somebody's living there and their cars are always in the parking lot, most people are just going to like the guys who are stealing this stuff are just going to drive away. It's when the places are vacant and they, they know it and they can tell then they go in there and break it. So yeah, that's one uh, dirty story that happened to us. That's definitely a very <laughs> trench story for sure. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. I think typically on these podcasts, people never get to see the, yeah, the bad side of real estate. Everyone just goes, oh, I'm making a bunch of money and yeah, it's super yeah. easy. Come and join me. And it's like, that's not really what you can uh, actually expect to, to feel and experience when you join the industry. It's definitely, you get slapped in the face a lot, but it is worth it. But I feel like it's necessary. We talk about yep. face slaps. So now people get the tip of if they do end up buying and see or lower areas, make sure you don't, you don't need to put in those big ticket items until you have a legitimate tenant. Yep. So I think that that's super functional and, and great tip that people can actually take in their business. That kind of wraps up my questions. I'd like to just kind of say, where can people find you online and how do people get in touch with you and your message? Absolutely. So you could find me on Instagram at Martel Antoine. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Uh, my website's martelturnkey.com. Uh, I have a book on Amazon as well. If you guys want to go and like, it's kind of a guide about how I started and how I started investing out of state. I think it's still like 99 cents. So you can just search my name, Antoine Martel on there. I also have a podcast, uh, a millennials guide to investing in real estate. Nice. And I'll link all of that in the show notes below. Awesome. So everyone, if you want to check out any of his stuff or get his book on Amazon, I mean, only a dollar, it's probably worth it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I think so. Yeah. so. <laughs> awesome man. thank you for coming on man i really appreciate you taking the time absolutely thanks for having me